When it comes to mothers, uh, you find uh, many stories uh, that uh, you can find about mothers protecting their children. Reading a story of an individual by the name of Angela whose son liked working on cars and he was, uh, this was back in the 80s in Georgia, and he was out working on his car, and the jack that was holding up the car collapsed, uh, snapped, and the car fell on top of him. As the story goes, Angela came out there and found him uh, underneath this car and uh, called for other individuals, and as uh, they came, she picked up the car, and they pulled out her son. She was not a woman that had great strength or an individual known for weightlifting of any sort, but uh, was able to rescue her child. I was reading another story, and uh, I don't have the exact details with me, but of a mother who, uh, in a tornado, they were in a house that didn't have a basement, and so she ended up finding the safest place that she could find in the house, and she had three children, and for her, it, the safest place would be under something soft. And so what she did is she took a mattress and, and put that up over her children. And the tornado came through and the three children survived, but the mother did not. She had saved her children's life. It's reading a story of another mother who lived in a place that most of us would find uh, very remote, but uh, it was mama bear meeting mama bear. Uh, they lived in Alaska, and the mother was out with her child alongside uh, of a lake that was up there, and a polar bear came out and attacked them. The mother defended her child, even though she was clawed herself. She wasn't about to let the bear hurt her child. Eventually, people heard her hollering and uh, brought the guns out and started shooting, and the bear went off. And, and you can read stories about this all the time of mothers being like this. And, and perhaps uh, you had a mother that was like this, that if there was ever danger, uh, that uh, sometimes meek and mild woman would become uh, very, very tough, very strong, because she was going to protect her kids. That's kind of the way it's been throughout history. Mothers will do this for their children, even give up their own lives for the sake of the lives of their own children. But what we read this morning in John chapter 19 is one of those stories that as a mother that you hope you never have to face. Some of you have had to, to face this kind of situation, but to see your child dying... Uh, to see your child going through distress uh, that you can do nothing about. And here in this story, you find this scene that is a sad one, uh, that you see the Lord on the cross. His mother and some other ladies and one of the disciples that is there, and they can do nothing to rescue him as his life is slowly ebbing from him, as he basically, with a crucifixion kind of death, uh, would be going through the agony of suffocating and dying a very cruel death. So you see the story, and as it was read this morning, 
It's kind of a sad occasion because if you remember the story of the crucifixion, the details of it, Jesus was put on a cross and it was outside the city, uh, probably along a, a road there that was the main road out of Jerusalem to the coast. And so everybody would be able to see this. And you know some of the people that are there. There's the, the leaders of the, well, the Sanhedrin that are mocking Christ and making jokes of him, mocking his condition. You even have the thieves that are there that are one hand and the other are making fun of Christ. Of Jesus as he's there on the cross. You have a carelessness amongst the soldiers as they're there. They're gambling for his garments. Really not caring about the fact that they're gambling over the outfit of someone who is now dying cruelly on a cross. Uh, they're more concerned about what they're going to gain out of this. And you see this group that is gathered by the cross. And as you read there in verse number 25 of uh, chapter 19, there stood at the cross his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. It's kind of sad when you look at this that there are none of the men there that you would expect to be there before Jesus is going to be crucified as he's talking about the fact that he's going to be taken and crucified uh, he has individuals surrounding him apostles that come and say we would give our life for you and you see in the garden of Gethsemane as the soldiers come uh, and uh, take Jesus they all run they flee and there's only a few people that are with Jesus during uh, his trial we know John, even though he fled, is the most faithful of the disciples because he's here at the cross. He's at the trials of Jesus and he's able to see these things. Even Peter, who you would figure would be the faithful one, he comes back after he fled, but yet in the face of a slave and a servant girl and another soldier, he is well willing to deny Christ publicly. Uh, these women you have uh, listed here, Mary, uh, his mother, his mother's sister, which would probably Salome, which was the mother of James and John. You have this one, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, which we know very little about, and Mary Magdalene. You go, well, who's this? Well, Mary Magdalene was this one who had been possessed of seven, seven demons, and her life was tortured by this until she met the Savior and he freed her from this. And she seems to be quite a force uh, as far as personality and accomplishing things. She's the one that is kind of the go-getter and accomplishing things uh, even amongst uh, the early group of believers that are there. They're all there. And you have John who's willing to be here, whom he describes himself in his writings as the one whom the Lord loves. You go through all of this and you say, where in the crucifixion does this story take place of the discussion of Jesus and his mother and John? It's just before the darkness falls. There's a lot of things that Jesus says. There's seven sayings that we actually have recorded from the cross in our Gospels. Uh, this is one of them. But uh, before this, Jesus is making statements to individuals around the cross. 
He even has a conversation with a criminal uh, who finally realizes after three hours of listening to what's going on that this one is not just merely an individual who is worthy of death. No, he's beginning to realize this is a Savior who has a kingdom. And he asks uh, this day uh, that he would be remembered when Jesus entered his kingdom and the Lord said to him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This is the last event before you go into the darkness and what goes on there is three hours where we have no saying from the cross where God pours out His eternal judgment in that darkness, the darkness that we should experience uh, in eternity in hell. God pours out His wrath in that darkness and there's no comments made. And then when that darkness is ended, uh, there are the statements uh, such as, it is finished, the work's done and then the giving up of the ghost. But it's in the midst of all of this. It's truly amazing in the midst of all of this that the agony the Lord is going through and everything that He has then that day that He takes care of His family relationships. You look at this scene and, and as a mother... Some of you can't imagine having to, to go through this, watching your son die in agony, but this was something that Mary had, had prophesied to her some 33 years before her. We sometimes forget in what we oftentimes call that Christmas story, you know, which covers many days, not just one day, it covers many days. And, and one of the occasions, Mary and Joseph went to the temple and there was a man there by the name of Simeon who had been told that he would not die until he saw the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And he was told one day when he walked in, this is the one. And so he makes this great prophecy about what Jesus is going to do for the nation of Israel and what he's going to do to save and, and uh, this. But then at the end of his statement... He says to Mary directly, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rise again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. He's making the statement that this one that is here, this beautiful baby that is here, this is one who people are going to speak against. They're going to curse. And it's going to lead to this, and he says this, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Even in this prophecy, he's already hinting at the fact that this one is going to have to die a cruel death and that Mary is going to be there to see it. It's prophesied. So at least in our mind, we can understand just from that prophecy that the cross wasn't an accident. It just didn't happen because of circumstances. No, it was planned. It was prophesied in, in the early birth of Jesus Christ. Most of us can't imagine Mary's suffering. Mary suffered in multiple ways. You go, well, what uh, was this? Well, I think the first thing would be this, is that her son was dying as a criminal. that people thought of him as a criminal. Here he is placed between two individuals who uh, were unlikely murderers. They were thieves, but they were probably murderers also. And uh, these individuals were there. And here the sinless Son of God, 
the one that Mary had raised and had known to be that one child that didn't cause problems. And she got to observe him as he grew up and saw him grow into an adult, and she would have known uh, what his character was like. And yet, what he's represented as on that cross is something completely different than what he was. One wrote this, It's always hard for a mother to see her son die. She naturally expects him to lay her head in the grave. Especially is this the case with the firstborn, the son of her strength. Jesus was only 33, and Mary must have reached the age when a mother most of all leans on support of the strong and loving son. However, far worse was the death. He was dying the death of a criminal. Many mothers have had to suffer the kind of death their children have died when it has uh, been in great agony or otherwise distressing circumstances. But what mother's suffering was ever equal to Mary's? There he hung before her eyes, and she was helpless to do anything to solve the situation. But I think it, it even goes further for her She was well aware of the fact that he was one who was supposed to set up a kingdom. I mean, consider what was praised and said at the birth of Christ, that this one was a king, that he would bring peace on earth and goodwill to men. She had heard these statements that were brought by shepherds and and things that happened as you had ambassadors come and lay gold, frankincense, and myrrh in front of him, that this one was set for a kingdom. That hope, in her eyes, was not to be. I mean, for her, the angel had told her before the birth, he shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Being on the cross is obviously an end. The one who agonizes there on the cross is her child. She it was who planted the first kisses on that brow, now crowned with thorns. She it was who guided his hands and feet, their first infant movements. No mother ever suffered as she did. His disciples may desert him. His friends may forsake him. His nation may despise him. But his mother stands there at the foot of the cross. And so you you see the mother suffering, but there's also a distance And I I want to put it this way, kind of an emotional distance between her and Jesus. See, for us, we would expect something when Jesus is making his statement to his mother. Verse 26, it ends this way. Woman, behold thy son. For us, we would expect this. Mother, behold thy son. Now for us, uh, hopefully you aren't calling your mother woman. The day I grew up, if I had said that, I would have uh, realized that that was the wrong kind of statement to make. But in this culture, realize the way that this Greek is used. It's not a term that is you know, used that way and would be in our culture no it's what we would oftentimes say to somebody like ma'am it's it's a it's a very kind uh, term uh for a lady uh to be used a one of respect and honor but it's not the one we expect from the lord he's speaking to his mother 
Now understand, Jesus throughout his public ministry had kept this kind of distance, you might say. Uh, he is not calling her, her his mother. Uh, you have an instance uh, in John chapter 2, earlier in this book, uh, this gospel, where Jesus' mother is with him at a wedding. And she comes to ask him and, and remind him or actually tell him, look, the wedding feast is having a problem. They've run out of things to drink. And she comes to him and basically says that it's time for him to display his power and his glory. You know, do something. And he denies her. And even in that passage, keeps that emotional distance. And he calls her woman. But it's reminding her that he's got a greater purpose. It's not to be her son. It's to be the savior of the world. And as you look through Scripture, Christ never addresses his mother as mother. And all the statements uh, that you find of Christ and his react, and interaction with his mother, you never find him, her calling, or him calling her that. And some have said that probably there is some wisdom in that because who knew what we would have in the years following after about the doctrine that would be created around Mary that she was the mother of God and that you must worship her as such. And this comes from idolatries transferred over to the Roman Catholic Church. It's a teaching that they think that Mary had some sort of divine characteristics, God-like characteristics that allowed her to have, well, Jesus as a child. And uh, so they then call her the mother of God. And, and the idea is this, is that if Jesus uh, was one who, well, uh, was born into this world, somebody had to be perfect to have him as a son. And thus she must be divine. And that no child can deny a request of his mother. And so this is why individuals pray to her because there is some sort of divine quality about her and that she is the mother of God. Well, no, she's not really the mother of God. God existed long before she ever existed. She's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus. And she is not the mother of God. But as you look at Jesus' ministry, there are times where he denies her request. You're told by individuals that, well, she will never be denied by her son. Well, in John chapter 2, she asks that he do something. And he says, well, what am I to do? Now is not my time. Now, he does go and help after that. But there is an occasion in the Gospels that's sometimes overlooked in Mark chapter 3, Matthew chapter 12, and Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is extremely busy. I mean, he doesn't even have time to eat. Uh, he is so uh, dealing with people all the time. And his mother requests for him to leave the crowd and come home. And the Lord doesn't do that. In fact, he turns and looks at the crowd and he goes, who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters? It's those that are with me and believe. That's not to say that Mary didn't, but Mary had concern for her child that he was overdoing it. And even there, the Lord said, nope, I've got a work to do. So throughout the ministry of Christ, his mother did request for him to do certain things, and he didn't do it. 
And so even with this statement, he's not calling her mother, he's calling her ma'am as he would any other individual. There is this kind of distance that's been set as he's working in his public ministry. And one put it this way, it is significant he does not now address her as mother, but merely uses the courteous title of woman, a highly respectful term. He refrained from using the word that would spring naturally to his lips, but that could be twisted into another uh, idea of idolatry through rendering worship to Mary as the mother of God. But you see what Jesus is going to do here. He does see that his mother is still in need. He is touched with our situation and you can see this in his situation as his mother his mother's a widow joseph is not on the scene he's never mentioned in the public ministry of christ in fact jesus is the eldest son so he would have been the one that's responsible uh, for some of these things in the family to take care of and in a society that didn't have insurance and health care and Medicaid and Medicare and all of those things, uh, it fell to the family to try and take care of the mother. As you look at the story of Jesus, you find this statement where Jesus is calling to his mother and considering there are needs, physical needs, that he is willing to meet not just spiritual needs and you find in the story kind of this unusual thing is it says in verse 26 jesus saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved he saith unto his mother woman behold thy son and it's not that jesus is talking about himself he is changing the relationship and says here's one who is going to be like a son to you he would have been a nephew but at this time but he's saying this one is going to be like a son to you behold your son and then jesus turned and said to the disciple behold thy mother and what he does is this is he it is a wonderful story of the grace of god there on the cross that here you have john who's failed jesus already several times in the last 24 hours he's run from jesus in the time of his greatest need but yet jesus is saying to him i've got responsibility for you still i'm not casting you aside though you failed i've got some work for you would you take care of my mother Take her into your home and be responsible for it. Now, the question comes, didn't Jesus have four other brothers? And he had sisters? He had both. And you say, well, why didn't Jesus go and and say, okay, it's their responsibility? Well, as far as we can tell, his brothers were not saved at this point. Now you say, did they? Well, they certainly did because we have two books written in our Bible by those brothers, James and Jude. Those were two of Jesus' brothers. They obviously got saved. And in fact, as you read the account, when Jesus rises from the dead and he's witnessed to in 1 Corinthians 15, there are certain people that witness that he's resurrected. It says that he goes to James, his brother, and confirms the fact that he is risen from the dead. But it very well could have been that these brothers still at this point were not believing on him. 
They weren't earlier on in his gospel ministry. They couldn't accept the fact that this brother of theirs could be the son of God. And so in this case, Jesus goes to John, would you take care of this one as your mother? And you find the account where John writes this as his own personal commentary of what happened. It's this, that's, uh, from that time, verse 27, that disciple took her unto his own home. And you do have record from early church fathers that John did take care of Mary. Just took that as his responsibility and took her with him wherever he ended up going. But you see on the other side, as uh, Jesus says uh, to his, mo- his mother, and he's looking for her to be cared for, it is amazing that everything on the cross that he has to do pay for the penalty of sins of all mankind all of these things that he still in that responsibility takes care of his mother those earthly ties that he had he was still willing to take responsibility for that and to take those things up and so for us, you look, look at a story like this and you go, well, what do we do with a story like this? Well, let me just uh, give you, first of all, this understanding. How do we apply a passage of Scripture like this? First of all, I want you as individuals to understand that Jesus understands your suffering. He understands the suffering of mothers. He understands the suffering of fathers. He understands the sufferings of individuals. You go, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, you understand this. He went through the greatest suffering. He was betrayed by friends. Within 24 hours of this story here on the cross, he had one of the individuals that went with him everywhere who was trusted by everybody else in the apostolic company turn against him and betray him. He suffered the betrayal of friends. He saw the suffering of family. He saw his mother suffering at that cross, at the loss of her own son. He saw those things. And when you think about what the Scripture has to say, and the book of Hebrews magnifies this truth, we have a high priest who is one who's touched with the feelings of our what? infirmities our weakness that the god in heaven that is there jesus the son of god who sits at the right hand of the father is one who experienced all the difficulties of human life the family experience the experience of individuals experience of the whole nation he experienced these different things that he went through sickness that he observed in the life of others death You have to be reminded that in John chapter 11, one of the most famous verses, because it's the shortest of verses, just simply says this, Jesus wept. That we don't have a God in heaven who is uncaring about the difficulties that you face day in and day out. That you as a parent perhaps have lost children. Or like Mary, had lost a spouse. 
that here Jesus had been a part of situations like that so that when he is interceding before God the Father, he's able to intercede as one who has been through the sufferings that we have been through. And it's not that he's unmoved, he is moved. He is one who described himself as this, that he is one who is meek and lowly in heart. As we're learning in Exodus uh, chapter 34, as we've gone through on Sunday nights and worked through that statement of God to Moses, and you understand that this is a God who's merciful and gracious. He's full of compassion. That idea is that he is moved about our needs and our concern. That in the midst of a cross like this, with all that is going on, that he's concerned about the situation of his mother and understands that needs to be taken care of, and he takes care of it. He now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and you're thinking, does he concern himself or care about my needs and my family and my children and my family members and the things that are going on and the situations I may be going through that are disastrous, it seems like, does God even care? And the answer is, absolutely you see it on the cross god is concerned about your children god is concerned about your family and so you see this on the cross and so jesus understands suffering even of mothers and all the burdens that they carry in their family for children for home I also secondly want to say this what you see on the cross is that children have a responsibility for their parents you have one of the commandments that's way back in the bible before this that says this children honor thy father and thy mother See, we live in a generation that kind of thinks this, that I'm 18 now, I have no responsibility in my home anymore because now I'm making my own home and I can do whatever I want to do now uh, and I have responsibility and so those ties are broken. And sadly, we live in a generation that, that lives that way, that they think I am on my own, my parents are no longer my responsibility, but they forget the fact that honoring parents is a lifetime. not just when you're in the home think about this jesus hadn't been in the home he'd wandered for three and a half years okay so he's if you want to think about it he's out on his own but is he still taking up responsibility for his mother and the answer is absolutely see you find in the scripture that there are times where we have to be reminded that we are still responsible for our parents especially as they get older i find it kind of ironic that when we're born our parents end up taking care of us day in and day out hour by hour and as we get older our parents need the same kind of care you know we are responsible for that it should be something that comes naturally to Christians. You say, really? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 5, you have a whole account where Paul is talking about the widows of the church, that there are certain widows that have no care from family, 
that the church takes up responsibility to help them. But he also makes the comment that individuals who have mothers that they're not taking care of, he says this, that they're worse than infidels. You know, what's that? They're worse than unbelievers. Even unbelievers take care of their parents. That it ought to be the normal thing. But sadly, sometimes we in in religiosity and whatever, we ignore the needs of our parents. This is the situation that you find in the Gospels in Mark chapter 7, verses 10 through 13, where Jesus has to admonish grown individuals, these Pharisees that are there, and challenge them with this command that they're to honor their father and their mother. And they weren't because what they were doing was that they were supposed to be taking care of their parents and they had money to do it. But what they would do is they would kind of do the shifting of bank accounts. So they would kind of say, oh, we don't have any money to take care of you. And they would actually put a spiritual twist on it because they would say, oh, this is money that's supposed to be given to the temple. I can't take care of you. And so they would kind of hide this responsibility to take care of family. And the Lord has to say, this is wrong. And so the the responsibility for us does not end to our parents. When we go out of the home at age 18, we're responsible to watch out for them. And as it gets older, you have to make more and more decisions for them. They may not like it. But that just becomes part of life for you, trying to take care of things for them. And you ought to take this up as your responsibility because the Lord did the same thing. And you as a Christian ought to reflect what Christ did. He was willing to take care of his family. Being a Christian doesn't make you no longer responsible. I can remember talking uh, to an individual uh, he ended up living over in japan and married a wife that was over there and uh, she became a christian and they were all upset because in that culture you take care of your family in fact there's an almost a religiosity about honoring your parents and their question was this you've become a christian does that mean you're no longer going to take care of us she had to remind him and say this no it means that i'll take more care and taking care and being responsible for you not less but what you see here on the cross is that children have responsibility to take care of their parents so jesus understands the suffering of all even mothers here in the room that are just saying i can't believe what my family's going through my kids are going through what they're going through. no the lord knows he sees and he is also one who cares about family but the third thing i want to say on a day like this is to remind you that everyone in the world needs jesus as a savior you know people would look at this on the cross and and think okay mary's so holy and so good and so perfect she didn't need what jesus was doing on the cross she did and she knew that she might not have understood all the details of it but she needed she knew she knew she needed salvation and you go how do you know that because it came out of her own mouth 
when you have the announcement in Luke chapter 2 where Mary is told that she is going to be the one who is the mother of the Messiah, the one who is going to be the one who can save Israel and save them from their sins, she gets done with that and she sings a song that we know as the, known as the Magnificat. And she starts it off with this statement that she rejoices in God my Savior. See, what Jesus did on the cross was something that is, well, sufficient for all and necessary for all. Even someone like Mary needed the death on the cross. And I don't know uh, for you being here today, some of you regular, some of you are just visiting today, but I don't know what your response to Jesus has ever been. But he died on this cross, not in a tragic story, it is a tragedy that he died but it's a glorious story because he didn't remain in that grave he rose three days later to show that he had victory over the penalty of death which was or sin which was death he could have power over this and that he could give life eternal just like he promised and you hear this statement as you read through the scripture that whosoever believeth on him should not perish should have everlasting life mary needed what jesus did on this cross all the people surrounding that cross needed his death and life and for us generations beyond uh, we're in need of a savior just as much as mary was in need of a savior we've done things to offend god we've put distance between us and him because of our sins and god says here is my son on this cross and then rising from the dead he's exactly what you need you need to accept him as your savior and he would be your savior just like he was the savior of his earthly mother mary he would be the savior of you also be wonderful today that you would receive that kind of a gift on a day like this to, to realize that Jesus died for you just as he died for the sins of his mother. He was willing to die. So, wonderful story of the cross. Don't forget the fact that Jesus is aware of your sufferings and is at the right hand of the Father taking care of them and interceding as much as he can but also take his gifts so that you can understand his salvation. He died for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a story like this, though from a human perspective, what a tragedy for a mother to have to watch her son die. But this just wasn't any son. He was the son of God. We're thankful for Jesus' death on the cross, but we're thankful for the other details surrounding this event, that Jesus was one who cared for family. Lord, there may be some here that have not really done their responsibility or due diligence in, in trying to take care of family. Lord, may they realize that it's a reflection of the Savior, it's a reflection of Christ uh, for them uh, to be doing this. May they take it up to be a reflection of the testimony of Christ in a world that at times is so self-centered and selfish. But Lord, may we just take comfort to the fact that at your right hand is a son who went through all the difficulties of this life and he's well aware of the suffering even of mothers that he's moved 
to meet needs, that he's not distant and far away, that he's well aware of the sufferings and that he is full of compassion. He delights in showing mercy. May our mothers here know that, though some have suffered loss uh, of children, others just because children may be wandering. May they find joy and comfort that you do care. So lift up their spirits. May they come to you and call upon you for help and that they would see that they see a display of your grace and your mercy in their life and in the lives of their family. So we delight in knowing you, the one true God. We're thankful for the salvation Jesus provided. May we see a display of your mercy and grace continually in our life this week. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.